Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I'd like us to, uh, before we uh, discuss the passage, I'd like us to look at uh, Philippians in chapter 4. So I hope the words will come up and I will read. Uh, I think there's one or two words which may be slightly different because I have an earlier version of the translation than this one. So let's uh, read from here. Philippians 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with you with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and a God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learnt to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet... It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And finally, he says, greet 
All the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me, send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. Amen. Many years ago, when I started preaching, I was on a rota uh, for being called up to different churches. They were Baptist churches, and I was on a list. And they could, if they didn't have a preacher that Sunday, they would invite somebody along to preach. Uh, and I remember going along to, to one church, my very first church, uh, and uh, it was a slightly crazy sort of service. Uh, and the, the pianist, uh, they had pianists in those days, they didn't have uh, guitars and drums and things like that. They had pianos, and he didn't really know how to play the piano. But I went to another church one time, and I can't remember what I preached about. But at the end, after, after the service was over, and in those days, I had to lead the entire service. Um, uh, a preacher would preach but he'd also uh, lead the, the entire service, apart from the notices. Uh, he'd even pray for the offering. Do you remember those days, some, some of you? Uh, and, um, and so that's what I was doing. But afterwards, this deacon, who was a leader in the Baptist church, came to me afterwards, and he said, don't ever lose your joy, Ian. Don't ever lose your joy. I've not forgotten that. I thought he must have seen something that I had some joy that morning, uh, and he was concerned that over time I might lose my joy. Uh, but this morning I want to talk about rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, I trust that those of you who know me might be able to say, yes, you are a man of joy, uh, because I certainly feel as though God has given me uh, joy in my life, much cause for it. So this morning I want to look at uh, this phrase, Rejoice in the Lord always. And first of all, what is joy? What is the joy? Can we have the next slide, please? What is the joy that Paul is talking about uh, in this passage? And then I want to look at four blockages to joy, things that might inhibit uh, us being able to rejoice in the Lord always and ways to unblock them. And then just some final thoughts. So firstly, what is this joy? What is joy? The English dictionary says that it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, a thing that causes joy. Either it's uh, a feeling or it's something that causes joy. In other words, it's a feeling. I would like to say that joy is not just a feeling this morning. Uh, the Bible dictionary that I have on my shelf says it's a quality, not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. And it's a quality which is grounded on God himself, and it's derived from him. I'm so pleased about that. Because this morning we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord. We're not just rejoicing in this or that or the other, though that might be good. But our source and our ground of joy is in the Lord. Um, our Helen and my mentor uh, and our pastor some years back, uh, when we were church planting, when we were doing ministry in London, before ever we went out to Asia, um, 
he was a man called Reverend Douglas McBain. And he, he was a man of joy too. And uh, he, he used to talk about joy being different from happiness. Sometimes we think that joy is like happiness. But he used to talk about joy being something that did not depend on circumstances. He said, happiness derives from happenings, things that happen to us which give us joy. And that's not a bad thing. But joy derives from Christ who does not change. Hallelujah. Amen? Okay. Getting warmed up now. So uh, Chuck Swindle, some of you may have read some of his uh, writings. He says, joy is a uh, deeply felt contentment that transcends difficult circumstances and derives maximum enjoyment from every good experience. So there are a few thoughts about what joy might be. But what does Paul find joy in? That's, I think, something that could help us. So first of all, he finds great joy in fellow believers. The first verse that we read uh, from chapter 4 says, You are my joy and crown. I don't know if you look around at one another, those of you who are part of Mosaic, and you say, You are my joy. And crown. It's good to be able to do that, isn't it? To, to be able to say, you are my joy and crown. And maybe Dan is saying that because he's the leader. You are my joy and crown. I sense that he has that feeling. But he says, in all my prayers, I pray with joy for you. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He is delighting in what God is doing in these believers. He's delighting in their growth in Jesus. He's delighting because God is at work. That's the first thing. The second thing is that joy can perhaps strangely come as a result of being in a circumstance of suffering. And Paul knew what it was like to be in suffering. And he learnt joy in that. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he says later on in this passage here, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, that means he's sacrificing his life. He's in prison. He's been imprisoned in Rome. And he's writing to the Philippians. He's saying, even if my life is being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad. (laughs) Even if I'm suffering, I am glad. (laughs) And I rejoice with all of you. Can we say that when we're going through times of difficulty? I am glad that I'm going through this time. (laughs) And yet Paul is saying that. And the third thing, Our joy, as I referred to earlier, is in the Lord. It's not in circumstances. It's something that comes from him. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God. In other words, something that he gives to us and causes to grow in us. And something that can be cultivated. And I'd like us to go away today recognizing that we can cultivate joy. Paul did this. One time, he and Silas were in a prison. You may remember. And what were they doing? At night, midnight, 
They were singing hymns to God and they were praising God. So he learned how to cultivate joy even when he was thrown into prison. And he's telling us to do this always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now here I have a question. I can understand that it might be okay and good and it's easy to rejoice in the Lord when you feel happy. It's easy to rejoice and say praise God for something. But always, always. There are times that Paul says always or continually, doesn't he? He says pray without ceasing. He says give thanks in all circumstances. So he's talking about us doing it all the time. Is that possible? Is that really possible? And David, who wrote many of the Psalms, he says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. So I have a question for you. Does that mean to say that when we're at work, we should always be annoying our work colleagues by saying, praise the Lord? Should we always be breaking into song? You know, even when we're watching TV, should we be breaking into a song or expressing our joy uh, in a verbal way? I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about, even when we're engaging in work, there's an attitude of joy in our hearts. Even when we're focused on something very different from something from the scriptures, we have an attitude of joy. And so this is what Alec Mottier, a Bible commentator, says. It's this joy, this, uh, this attitude is to so value Jesus Christ and to so long for the smile of his approval that nothing else matters. He is all our joy. I'll say that again. He is all our joy. Let's say it all together. He is all our joy. In other words, whatever we do, we do it to please him. In our work, in our rest, in our relationships, whatever it is, we do it to please him, to, to have the smile of his approval on our face. And this attitude will easily overflow into expressions of song and praising him out of our mouths. In fact, Paul can't help it. Right at the end of this passage, he says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. He's rejoicing in God. But frankly, do we rejoice at all times? Do we have a heart attitude of rejoicing? That's, that's a challenge, isn't it? When we're going through some difficulties. And uh, I want to show you a picture of, um, that's it, Brother Lawrence. Any, anyone heard of Brother Lawrence? He was a 17th century uh, French lay monk. So he wasn't an ordained monk. He was mainly in the kitchens uh, of a monastery in France. And this is what he says. I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. Wow. That's a place I would love to be many times. Uh, that it's a habitual, continual, secret conversation. 
I'm not bursting out uh, with a praise the Lord when it's inappropriate. And maybe when it is appropriate, it will be good. I'm not discouraging you from doing that. But it's that inward, that inward relationship with God, which fills him, he says, with an overwhelming joy. That is rejoicing in the Lord always. If we have a split mentality, this is when I come to worship God and this is the rest of my life, then we will have difficulty at this point. But if we see our whole lives as one whole, then we will find it easier in all sorts of circumstances. Uh, When we're preparing the food, when we're going for a walk, when we're going to work, when we're changing nappies or whatever it happens to be, we are rejoicing in the Lord. There's a joy there, even if our mental processes have to focus on something else. So what I want to focus on this morning are some blockages to joy. Now we've looked at what joy might look like. First of all, problems in relationships. Secondly, anxiety or worries in our life. Thirdly, our thought life might be a blockage. And uh, fourthly, uh, what is our source of contentment in life? Are you with me? Okay, what's the first one? It's problems in relationships. Here, Paul had a couple of ladies who had a dispute. They couldn't agree with one another. Uh, And I would say that relationships can be a huge barrier to joy. If you're out of sorts, if you don't have a right relationship, with somebody else, it can really rock you. Do you find that? It can rock your relationship with God. It can rock your senses of emotional equilibrium. And you find it difficult to rejoice in the Lord at that time. Are you with me on that? So we're going to look at these two ladies whose name are Euodia and Syntyche. Someone said their names perhaps should be called Euoda and Soon Touchy. But whatever, it's, it should be Euodia and Syntyche. Those are what their names were. They were wonderful co-partners with Paul in ministering with preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he loved them. And he was writing to them because he, he loved these two ladies. And he couldn't stand it in his heart. He was so far away in Rome. Uh, and there was Philippi where they were. And he couldn't stand this this fact that these two leading ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, were out of sorts, could not agree with one another. So he said, I urge you, I urge you, each, each one of them, he said, Euodia, I urge you, plead with you, Syntyche, to agree with one another, to settle your disagreement in the Lord. And previously in other places he said, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is a common problem. It's not just these two ladies. It's all sorts of us. And certainly when I'm out of sorts with somebody else, it rocks me emotionally. It, stops the, it blocks up my joy. So how do we settle our disagreements, especially in the body of Christ and the church of Jesus? First of all, he's saying, I plead with you individually, you odia, and I plead with you uh, with syntyche to agree with each other. Now, sometimes you can sort your problems out on your own. You can go to one another and you can say, I'm really sorry. 
uh, about this, or I find that there's a feeling in my heart uh, that isn't quite right about you, and they, they, you can try to sort it out. Agree with one another in the Lord. But maybe you'll need some help. Maybe you'll need somebody else to come and help you to sort it out. Yes, he says, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, we don't know whether that's just what he's calling him or whether that's his name. It could be a translation of this Sisygus. This Sisygus was being uh, asked to help these two ladies to come together so that the work of God could go forward, so that the relationships could be repaired. So the key thing is agree with one another in the Lord. This is recognizing that if we are focusing on Jesus, we're not focusing on the person's problems. And if we are focusing on Jesus, we see them in his light. We see them in the light of Christ. We see our faults, not just theirs. We will also see ourselves in the light of Christ. We will have the the light of Jesus shining on us. So we're seeing their strengths. We're seeing our weaknesses a bit more easily. And we will see that they too are loved by God. They too have their names written in the book of life, it says here. They belong to him. Jesus loves them. And so as we come to him, it helps us to see how he loves the person with whom we have a difficulty. And then we can also see the situation in the light of Jesus. How important is that issue, really? (laughs) Sometimes it's not very important, is it? And we can get it into a much better perspective. So here is a key verse from another letter of Paul. Where, uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't go to bed being angry with somebody. Because he says, maybe the devil is going to get in there and disrupt you. Do not give the devil a foothold. The devil can have a foothold through our sin. The devil can have a foothold through our anger with somebody. So get your anger sorted out before you go to bed. Patch your relationships up. Do not give the devil a foothold. I tell you, the devil really makes havoc in church life and in our personal lives where we don't patch our relationships up, where we don't sort our anger out. Do you find that? So as we resolve our differences with one another, joy is one of the fruits of that. And peace comes to our hearts as well because we have removed one of the main blockages to joy, peace, and contentment. So here's a question. Is there a relationship that you think you might need to sort out at this time that's blocking your joy? But you need to put it right anyway. Okay, what's the second thing that might block our joy? The second thing is anxiety or worries, the cares of this life. Jesus says in one of his parables that there are different seeds that fall into different types of ground. And a seed that falls among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke 
the word, making it unfruitful. So when we have worries bottled up inside us, that inhibits the flow of joy. That inhibits the flow of peace. We may be anxious about all kinds of things. Will I fail at this? Will I have enough money for that? Are my relationships going to be okay? Can I do this work? I might have a worry about my image. How, how do people see me? Maybe you're worried about that unwanted letter coming through your door. About tax or about finance or about from the, well, maybe from the police or something like that. And you're worried about that. You're anxious. What do we do when we're anxious? Do you run away to a corner and sit all by yourself? That's an easy kind of escape route, isn't it? Do we try to forget the problem, watch TV, we go on the internet, we do all sorts of things, but we kind of cover it up? Or do we go into a frenetic kind of activity trying to resolve the problem? Because all of those things can make us more anxious. What do we do when we feel anxious and worried? Paul knew a lot about anxiety. He knew a lot about being in situations where he could be very worried. He'd often been in prison, he says. He was often beaten and flogged and stoned. He was constantly on the move. Three times he was shipwrecked out at sea. He spent a whole day and night in the cold, open sea. He was often without food. He was often hungry, thirsty, without sleep. He was cold. And on top of that, he says, the pressure of my concern for the churches that he had started. And then Paul tells us what to do. He knew about this. He says, do not, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, in every situation, pray and give thanks to God. Do not be anxious about anything. But rather, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I just want to look at some of those words there. In every situation, there's no situation too small to bring to him. There's no situation too big to bring to him. Another word that comes out here is by prayer and petition. We can ask. We can ask him. We can come to him. It's not like we can do nothing. If you feel like you can do nothing, you can ask. You can ask God to lift the burden of this anxiety that you have. And you're bringing your request before God. Before who? Before the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you more than you could ever tell. He loves you so much. That's the God that you're coming to. That's the God that you can bring your request to. The God who's all-powerful, the God who's all-knowing. You can bring your request to him. I always think, let's not just pray, but let's remember who we're praying to. Because we can pray with anxiety. It's like just beads, worry beads, you know. <laughs> but if we recognize who we're praying to, we know that we've got a source uh, of everything that we need in him. So, and then with thanksgiving, 
Thank you, Lord, that you've answered my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for all the good things that you've done in my life. And then as we thank him, we see the good and not just the difficult thing that you're facing. And it's a change of perspective that can take place. It's a key to releasing things to God. But once you've released those things to God, don't take them back. It's very easy to try and take that anxiety back upon ourselves. Uh, And sometimes I have to say that I have to fight. I have to fight for joy. I have to fight to maintain joy or to get into joy again if somehow I've lost it. And I would urge you to do the same. Fight for joy. Don't just expect joy to land upon you like a soft cloud (laughs) or a bubble. But Paul tells us that we have an enemy. And the enemy is called Satan. And he would try to take joy from us. And we have to fight back at times. So Paul tells us what will happen when we release our anxieties and worries to him. He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Philippi, they had a Roman garrison. It was a Roman city. And so the word guard would have meant something very special to the people in Philippi. They would have recognized that it's a peace of God which will guard your mind from the attacks from outside. And it's the peace of God. It's not just some other peace, not the world's peace that Jesus gives to us. It's his own peace. Firstly, it's peace with God. That we have a right relationship with God. He says, since we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We have peace with God. It's a right relationship with God. And secondly, it's peace from God. It's a gift beyond understanding. And I would urge you, and Mission Group Sunday, to share with one another times where you have discovered a peace that has transcended understanding. You're thinking, why am I feeling so peaceful when the circumstances around you are not peaceful? But it's a gift from God. It's a peace that he's given that transcends all understanding. Okay, the third thing that can mess up our joy is our thought life. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely and admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. That's, those are the cogs that should be going around in our heads, those good things. This appears to be a, a, a separate set of instructions in, in the passage here, because he says, finally. But you can also connect it to relationship problems. Think about the good things. Think about whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. You can relate it to circumstances that create anxiety. You can think about the good things, what's positive in it. But I just want to step back and look at what he's really referring to. He goes on to say, um, and whatever you've heard or received or um, learnt from me or seen in me, put into practice. So it's how we work out things from what we are thinking in our heads. Is this making sense? Our behavior is the result of what we think. So how do our practices measure up to 
what is true, what is noble, what is pure, what is praiseworthy, what is excellent. What do we allow our minds to dwell on when we are in a kind of free will, when we have free time? Uh, what do we uh, think about when we're off duty? What do we watch? What do we listen to when we're not at work or even when we're at work? Um, What kind of movies do we watch? What kind of TV programs do we watch? What do we use our computers for? What what input are we putting into our heads? Because that will affect our joy immensely. That will affect our peace. How do what we are watching and listening to measure up to these qualities of true, right, noble, lovely, excellent, etc.? That doesn't mean to say that you can't can't watch the news, which has so many bad news stories. It doesn't mean to say you can't watch movies which are beyond PG rated. What it does mean is what's happening in your head. What's happening in your head? What thoughts are these things creating? Do they create good thoughts? Right thoughts, praiseworthy thoughts, or do they create lustful thoughts, or violent thoughts, or critical thoughts? What's going into our heads? So clearly we should watch what we're watching. Watch out for it. We should watch out for what we're listening to. Does it make us more gracious to other people, or more self-absorbed? Does it make us praise God... Or does it make us want to moan and complain? Does it lift our spirits or does it drain our spirits? Paul says we should learn from our fellow believers. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We should see the uh, good examples around in, in, you know, amongst our fellow believers. We should be able to imitate the good things in their lives. Uh, That might mean that there's someone here that is doing something really good that you think is great that you'd like to imitate. They may not be doing everything that you want to imitate, but there are some things that you want to imitate. Maybe someone is really good at knowing how to handle issues to do with the environment. Uh, And you'd say, I want to learn about that. How do Christians respond to caring for God's creation? So maybe there's someone here that could help. So we can learn from one another. We can imitate one another. And he says this, that as a result of good and clear thinking, the God of peace will be with you. It is a source of peace, the God of peace. Not just the peace of God, but the source of the very peace. The God of peace will be with us. Okay, one more thing. You still with me? Okay, what causes you to be content? What is the source of your contentment? Paul is talking about the gift that the Philippians had sent to him by the hand of, uh, of a guy called Epaphroditus. And he's saying, thank you. Really, I'm so glad that you've, you've sent that to me. And it's like a sweet-smelling offering. Uh, he said, I'm amply supplied now that I've received this gift. These are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In the past they'd done it, 
Then there'd been a bit of a gap. They hadn't been able to send him financial and other help now that he's in prison in Rome. But uh, in the meantime, he's had to suffer without. In the meantime, he said, I've had to learn how to be content with nothing. Because very often, a prison situation is different from what it would be like in the UK. It would be family and friends that, that provide your food. And so he was very dependent on friends to come and help him. And so he's, he's learnt how to be content in that situation. I want to tell you just a brief story about another person called Gladys Aylward who uh, lived in China in the 1920s and 30s uh, and uh, had a ministry in Taiwan after that. And uh, she, anyone heard of Gladys Aylward here? She's known as the small woman. She wasn't very tall, but she went to China on just a few pounds. And when she got to the place where she was going to minister, to join another lady, um, she only had a few pence in her pocket. And God supplied her every need, every day of those 20 years that she lived in China. And uh, that was remarkable enough. But there came a time when the Japanese were bombing that area of China. They were trying to take over China. And she had the care of a number of children. Not just a number of children, but it amounted to 100 children. And she decided the only way to cause them to be safe was to take them across the mountains quite a long distance. And normally it would be about two weeks' walk across the mountains uh, to a place called Xi'an. And there, there was a place of safety for these children. And she set out with two days' provision of food. They had to sleep out in the open very often. And they, they found that there were sources of food coming to them. As they went on their way, there, were, there was a group of soldiers that shared, very liberally, shared their provisions with them. And then they found different villages, and they helped out. And she knew what it was to be content in any and every situation. She learned what it was to have nothing and to have everything. To, to be well-fed and to be hungry. Often she and some of the older girls could not eat on that journey because of the younger children. They needed it more than they did. So she learnt by the hard uh, school of life to trust in God for her needs. So what about our lives? Are we content with what we have? <laughs> I put it in as a stark difference between Gladys Aylward and Paul in prison and ourselves. We have so much often in comparison, don't we? Are we content? Are we content with what we have? If we're not content, where are we finding our source of contentment? That, I think, is the challenge for us today. So, um, just to summarize, rejoice in the Lord always is an attitude more than acts and expressions of songs and words. Secondly, there are several blockages to joy. I've mentioned four today. Relationships, circumstances, our thought life, and uh, where we find our sense of contentment. And the third point I want to make is these, all of these 
blockages are unblocked by turning to God, by finding our sense of contentment and joy and peace in him and him alone. This is what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again, I say, rejoice. It's something we choose to do. Uh, something we may not feel like, but we choose to do it. That's what I meant when I said, I have to fight for joy. And so it is a command, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And we're to rejoice in him, in him, what he's done, who he is for us. And particularly for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross so that we might find joy in him. Amen? And then rejoicing turns our attention from what is negative to him. And we find that he will continue that work in us of putting joy and peace. And just one last quote here. We will find our deepest satisfaction in him as we rejoice in the Lord. This is what John Piper says. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'd just like us to repeat that together. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are our source of joy. Thank you that Jesus, for the joy set before you, you endured the cross so that we could enter into joy. Thank you for the joy of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that comes to us through Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us this morning, if there are blockages to put out of the way, I pray we'd be able to do that as we continue in worship, as we continue in prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.